Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Programme. My name is Anya, and on this week's show, Women on the Line tackles the intersection of the transgender experience and feminism. Please note that the content in this week's show may be triggering for some transgender and gender diverse people, as our guests and myself explore transphobia, femphobia, and transmisogyny. Recently, author and second wave feminist Jermaine Greer angered transgender and gender diverse people and their supporters with her transphobic comments, which basically deny that trans women are real women. Greer is no stranger to controversy. However, what is noteworthy in the recent debacle is how the discourse around her most recent spate of comments has actually played out and has turned into a battle of free speech. Jermaine Greer had been invited to speak at Cardiff University in the UK on the topic of women and power, the lessons of the 20th century. Rachel Melhuish, Women's Officer at the University Union at Cardiff Uni, started a Change.org petition asking the university to cancel Greer's appearance. Rachel Melhuish said that Greer demonstrated misogynistic views towards trans women, including continually misgendering trans women and denying the existence of transphobia altogether. The petition has attracted 3,000 signatures, but the mainstream has portrayed the situation as a free speech issue, saying that Greer is being silenced and censored. Two trans women, Regan Bleachmore and Elizabeth Latham, join us on the show to talk about their reactions to Greer's comments, trends in feminism which span all women, not just cisgendered women, and their suggestions on how to be a good trans ally. But first up, we'll hear from Jessica Keane, lecturer in Gender and Cultural Studies at the University of Sydney, to explain some of the basic language around gender and sexuality. So transgender is used in a lot of different ways and um, some people will use the word transgender, some people will use the word trans. For some people that's going to be something like the experience of not identifying with the gender you were assigned at birth. So say if when you were born a doctor said it's a girl and you grew up not feeling like a girl, then you might call yourself trans or transgender. For some people that's going to actually be a bit more specific. So it'll be the experience of being uh, assigned female at birth, um, the doctor saying it's a girl, and then you feeling actually like a boy. So for some people that's what transgender means, whereas for other people trans or transgender will be a little bit broader and will mean the experience just of not identifying with the binary category you're assigned at birth. Um, and yeah, and we do hear some of these words that you just mentioned, so um, assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth. Uh, I guess it kind of it creates a sense that, you know, you, you were assigned this gender at birth, but actually you know, you you feel like a different gender. And also another term that people can often use is cisgendered. Do you want to explain what that means? Cisgendered, most simply, would be the experience of, of identifying with what you were assigned at birth. The reason you might want to use that word is because it names what would otherwise be taken to be a norm, right? It makes it makes it really clear that there are different types of experiences of gender and that it kind of forces us to think about the fact that not everyone has the same experience of being a woman and that some people will have that experience of being a woman that is smoothly transitioning from what they were assigned as a child and for other people that um, is going to be a different experience, that they'll be a trans woman. Um, and I guess some of the the, the reason that it's uh, quite it's been quite insulting what Jermaine Greer has been saying um, by saying that you know 
people who are M to F, so um, male to female transitioned or affirmed, she's saying that those people post-operation are not actually women. And I guess, you know, she calls herself a feminist, but, you know, if somebody in the world is presenting as a woman, um, then feminists should absolutely back them up and, and support them in the same way that they would a woman. Yeah, I, I feel like Jermaine Greer and other feminists like her, and um, unfortunately she's not alone, it's like they've decided in advance what most counts as being a woman. And uh, one of Jermaine Greer's comments was that, you know, a, a particular experience that trans women might not be able to have, which means that they're not, in her view, really women, is that they haven't experienced what it's like to have what she called a big, hairy vagina. Um, and that that was some sort of, you know, especially important experience of womanhood. But I think that in most people's common sense understanding of gender, it's all a little bit more complicated than that. And a lot of the experiences that we have um, of sexism, say, are not necessarily to do with biology. They're to do with how we're treated on the street or they're to do with how we're treated in the workplace. And um, I think that if we start thinking about gender in those ways, as a really complex system that affects our lives uh, in a whole bunch of ways in day-to-day life and that those ways that they're regulated, that we can see patterns to this stuff and that you kind of get punished if you don't act according to the rules, then we can see that those rules affect everyone, in fact, and that even Mm. though um, certain types of experiences might be specific and that they're not actually incompatible, like you can still talk about the fact that women are often shamed uh, about vaginas you don't, in order to do that, you don't need to say that trans women aren't women. You can just say that, that people with vaginas are often shamed about vaginas and also that femininity is often belittled or that women on the street, including, in, in fact, especially trans women, are often facing violence or harassment. Um, I think that all of that needs to be part of feminism and perhaps more broadly an analysis of gender regulation in society. So over the last couple of decades, especially uh, the transgender experience or what people understand transgender to be has been evolving and perhaps some new identities are starting to emerge which support the idea that um, perhaps gender binaries are not helpful in the first place and one of these identities is, is gender queer. Could you tell us you know, what this term usually refers to? Yeah, so just like transgender or trans, um, gender queer is used in a bunch of different ways. Often it will be used by people who don't feel like they fit neatly into the gender binary. So they don't they don't identify with or they don't feel like they can decide to be either a boy or a girl. So these people might feel like um, they fit somewhere in between that spectrum. They might see it as a spectrum and that they fall in between boy and girl. Or they might actually reject the spectrum altogether and feel that they that they're outside of the spectrum or that the spectrum doesn't make sense to them. Um, it kind of corresponds to a lot of political and and philosophical thinking about sex and gender and sexuality in the past two decades and a half, I suppose, based on the idea that there's nothing really solidly natural about all of the meaning that we make out of being a boy or a girl in the world, and that perhaps things are a bit more complicated than they seem. Women on the Line so recently, Jermaine Greer had been invited to speak at Cardiff University in the United Kingdom 
And Rachel Melhuish, women's officer at the University Union at Cardiff University, started a petition asking the university to cancel Greer's appearance. Many people are saying that this is a violation of free speech. Um, what do you say to that, Jess? Obviously, this is tricky because it touches a lot of people's feelings about the right to free speech. The thing is that universities in particular uh, act as sometimes as a kind of like a stamp of approval on knowledge. What Jermaine Greer is saying is actually taps into an everyday experience of kind of like everyday violence, of misgendering, of, of identity denial, of people telling you that the way that you are isn't true and that those opinions uh, also justify people who believe that it's okay to discriminate against trans people mm. um, or be violent towards trans people. And I'm not saying that Jermaine Greer is encouraging violence against trans people, but that the attitudes that she is espousing from a position of authority can have damaging effects. And, you know, she can have many other platforms to speak. She publishes books. She gets lots of speaking invitations, but perhaps we could think about whether or not universities should invite people with seriously marginalised uh, political opinions within the institution. You know, like this, these are not uh, these are not theoretical positions that hold a lot of water these days. Mm. And should should our universities be giving them an equal platform, given that universities are often seen as authorising institutions? This debate is almost getting caught into a place where we're imagining that Jermaine Greer represents all feminists and that all feminists are against all trans people or all feminists are against all queer people. And in fact, many, many trans people and queer people are feminists. And most of the work that's being done, or, you know, all recent work that I've read on trans and queer politics has been deeply feminist, not, not just deeply informed by a history of feminism, but deeply feminist in its own right, in that it's invested in um, unpicking and, and thinking critically about gender and the way that it's regulated in the world and how that affects all of our experiences. So um, I think that that's something to think about as well, about what kinds of feminist voices are getting represented and, you know, is there actually a, too many high-profile feminists of a very particular strain of feminism who are being taken to represent feminism mm. as a whole? If you've just tuned in, you're listening to 3CR's National Women's Program, Women on the Line, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and produced at 3CR on Wurundjeri Country. You just heard from Jessica Keane, who's a lecturer in Gender and Cultural Studies at the University of Sydney. This week's topic is the intersection of feminism and the transgender experience. I think this is something in a long line of um, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, which have been speaking out, I guess, in support of a feminism which um, they believe has no place for trans women. Uh, it's been happening since at least the 70s. There's a long history of people who are part of the Stonewall riots who are trans women being excluded from feminist groups. Um, so this isn't these statements that are being made are nothing new. Um, it's really an ideology which has been recycled over the decades. A lot, a lot of the things which are posed as facts have been completely debunked. And I'd say the main views that are put forward are that um, trans women aren't women. Um, that our biological sex determines what our gender is and that we might believe our gender is something else. We might identify as something other than the sex we were assigned at birth and the gender that we were assigned at birth. But radical feminists tend to believe that because gender is a social construct, that it's not, it's 
not um, functioning in the same way as an identity. Um, and for that reason, um, it's meaningless um, to them for a trans woman to say that they identify as a woman because if they were assigned male at birth, if um, they, they have what are considered um, male sexual characteristics, even if they have gender affirmation surgery, they will still be considered male and they will still be considered men by radical feminists. And these are, these are views which have existed um, within um, radical feminism in, um, in writings over, over decades. There's particular, um, there's particular writings um, called the Transsexual Empire, a particular kind of almost conspiracy-level um, fear campaign that trans women pose a grave threat um, to all cisgender women, um, that the reason that people transition is to infiltrate women's spaces, the purpose that, that people feel like they're the wrong gender is because they fetishise women. Uh, there tends to be a fading of trans men and trans masculine people into the background because they, they don't actually fit the narrative so well of people transitioning for some kind of um, gain. Um, they but, generally, but, that, so people, but people do still say that about trans men. Yeah, they're, they're saying you know these people were assigned female at birth and they're trying to join the boys' club to gain male privilege. And so, so there's this um, interesting justification as to why someone would choose to um, choose to come out as transgender, would choose to go on hormones, would choose to have surgery for the purpose of trying to blend in and infiltrate women's groups. And uh, I'm sorry, but I don't think these radical feminist groups are that important that people want to go undercover just to hang out in them and pretend to be other radical feminist women. I think it's actually quite insulting to believe that the reason why people transition is so that they can infiltrate. I think the consequences for transitioning are really quite high. And I think if people think about what it would be like if they were to transition towards a gender which they don't identify with, how difficult that would be to live in that body, that if they were cisgender and they chose to transition for the purposes of gaining male privilege or for the purposes of infiltrating female spaces, it's really not worth it. The kind of discrimination that you face, um, the stigma, the difficulty in your relationships. One of the other reasons which is posed is that um, a lot of people's internalised homophobia leads them to transition if they are homosexual um, so that they can be in heterosexual relationships, which also doesn't really hold up because many people who are transgender are not um, are not heterosexual or homosexual. They might be bisexual. What what is there to gain if you're a bisexual person? In in my case, I'm a non-binary trans woman. I'm bisexual. By transitioning, I reduce the pool of women that are attracted to me because there are more heterosexual women in the world than homosexual and bisexual women in the world. I don't really gain anything like this amazing access to women, um, which is kind of posed um, in this way as the reason that trans women transition is that they're kind of predatory, that they're, um, they're seeking to gain access into women's spaces to convince lesbians to sleep with them um, and these kind of accusations. In certain cases, this this completely – this it, it just makes very little sense in that there are certain people who cannot be fit into this um, into this box of you must have transitioned for this reason that the radical feminists say. Mm. I know um, a gay trans man. He has nothing to gain by having transitioned so that he can be a gay trans man. If he wanted to have a heterosexual relationship to live as a woman and to date men, 
his life would be a hell of a lot easier. It doesn't make sense. Mm. The male privilege that you gain really isn't enough to justify why you would you would want to do that. Mm, um, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like a lot of a lot of Jermaine Greer's and, and you know people like her um, of the kind of second wave um, radical feminism they kind of haven't caught up with the last couple of decades and a half, kind of since Judith Butler came out with Gender Trouble, haven't really caught up with contemporary feminism and, and the idea, which, which I don't know, for, for myself and for you doesn't seem so difficult, but the idea that, you know, if somebody, no matter what they were assigned at birth, if somebody's dressing in a feminine way, is presenting in a feminine way, whether that's, you know, stereotypical things like growing your hair long, wearing skirts, dresses, etc., doing your nails. Anybody who is doing that is subject to sexism. Therefore, that person should be a part of feminism. What do you say about this? There's um, a prominent trans feminist named Julia Serrano who talks about two different types of feminism. She talks about oppositional feminism and binary feminism. And oppositional feminism is a really good way of highlighting um, what exists in society as, as the thing she terms femphobia, um, which is um, a distaste, a disregard, disgust towards feminine, what are, what are seen as feminine characteristics. All these feminine characteristics are seen in opposition to masculine characteristics and everything which is seen, deemed as a masculine characteristic is, is deemed as superior. So for that reason, anytime you create um, this binary opposition between male and female, masculine and feminine, and masculine traits are considered superior, feminine traits by their very nature are considered inferior. So one of, one of them is physical strength and physical weakness is, is an example which is used a great deal, um, rationality and emotionality. Um, so these things which are deemed um, to have different values according to whether they're assigned as being masculine or feminine traits. The other is um, binary sexism. So that's referring to the degree to which someone conforms to the binary gender which they've been assigned. Um, and so these are things that I think radical feminists do come to understand and partly what they're fighting for is an abolition of gender. This isn't a really particularly useful thing for um, for transgender people, but what they seem to be criticising is the way that gender is constructed is completely arbitrary in a lot of ways and that people are made to conform to a whole lot of standards which don't make much sense. And for that reason, binary sexism requires men to behave in certain ways, women to behave in certain ways. When men or people who are assigned male at birth um, behave in feminine ways, they're told to man up. They're told, you might be told you're a pussy. You might be told you're a wimp. So all of these things are kind of reflections of the ways that women are seen in society. If women are doing these feminine things, then it's seen as being appropriate because they're in their place. They're in an inferior place, which is acceptable um, to those that subscribe to these views. And for everyone that's been indoctrinated into a patriarchal society, these are things which many of us hold and don't um, necessarily see or, or acknowledge that these things are taking place. I think you see a lot of this in, in media. You see a lot in the um, ridicule of, um, of women in prominent positions, in prominent positions of power, that um, in order to be acceptable in positions of power, you need to adopt certain masculine standards. Mm. Um, women in business are told to be more aggressive, more, um, I guess, have, 
have a greater um, sense of ambition, all of these things which are seen as masculine traits, Mm. the things that they bring to their work environment which aren't necessarily valued may have been valued otherwise if we were in a society which actually took feminine um, presentation, feminine behaviours, feminine roles seriously. Um, This is even expanded out into the way that in society um, caring for children, caring for elderly people, caring for people with disabilities is considered feminised work. And for that reason, it's really poorly paid. It's very underappreciated, sometimes not paid at all. Domestic work, um, nursing, education, all of these kind of so-called feminised industries are as they are because of the devaluation of women in society and that which is associated with women. You just heard from non-binary trans woman Regan Bleachmore. You're listening to Women on the Line and today's show is about the intersection of the transgender experience and feminism, specifically in light of Jermaine Greer's recent outdated comments that, in her view, trans women are not what she calls real women. Next is Lisbeth Latham, who's a trans woman living in Melbourne. They joined me to speak about their reaction to Greer's comments and their suggestions on how to be a good trans ally. So... Greer's most recent comments aren't new. They're very... They're, yeah. Anything they're actually toned down on what she's at times said because the, 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 it wasn't her most obnoxious and transmisogynist stuff that she said. Yeah. But I think what's more interesting is the extent to which the, the public response around the petition at Cardiff for, for the lecture to be cancelled, what that says about the extent to which in our society transphobia is seen, and particularly transmisogyny, is seen as being acceptable and legitimate positions to hold. And if anything, the thing that is illegitimate is for um, trans women and their supporters to say, actually, no, that's not appropriate. The idea that in our society there aren't ideas that would be seen deemed to to be inappropriate to to, to speak about is not a reflection of reality. That that happens all the time. Whether or not those things are good things or bad things to to be deemed as being unacceptable, that's a separate question. Mm. But I think there's a level of unreality in lots of this discourse around the the petition around Greer, and there's no discussion at all about the extent to which there's an attempt to silence voices calling out trans misogyny. Absolutely. Um, so a lot of the discourse has kind of talked about free speech, and again, that does sort of show that people aren't ready or they don't they're not up to speed with where trans people are at and trans women are at. They're not sympathetic, and they don't see how that silencing of of trans women voices. I think there's a few things. I think the first is that part of the discourse around trans, the free speech stuff reflects the extent to which the in our society the concept of free, of free speech is largely misunderstood. So there's lots of things where people will say obnoxious things and people will say, maybe you shouldn't say that. And the response will be, you're violating my freedom of speech. And it's like, well, no, the person is simply saying, maybe you shouldn't say that or saying to a, um, a, a, an organisation, maybe you shouldn't host that person. You've got a right to to not host the person. You don't have to host them. There is no, so there's that level of misunderstanding. But I think the biggest thing is, is that there's a downplaying of what we're talking about. We aren't just talking about a person getting up and saying, having a philosophical discussion about the nature of womanhood and the, and the relationship between womanhood and, and, and chromosomes and womanhood and genitalia. I, I think that's an ob- ob- obnoxious discussion, but that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a society in which trans women face significant levels of violence. We're talking about a society in which trans women um, face 
substantial levels of discrimination and that discussion around the, the inclusion or exclusion of trans women takes place in that context of violence and is seen and can be seen as being a legitimation of that violence. No one is saying that it's Greer going around and causing that violence directly. It's an indirect uh, violence and legitimation where the same sort of arguments that Greer will make get, then get articulated by people who want to ensure that there's no um, any discrimination protection for trans women. Part of the problem of the discussion that Greer and other trans-exclusionary um, feminists like her is that um, they actually envision an experience of transness which does not reflect the breadth of the experiences of transness. The, the obsession with genitalia is an, is an interesting one. For some trans women, gender reassignment surgery is, is a very important thing for them in terms of them, their affirmation of themselves. For other trans women, that's not the key criteria and there's a very broad range of different experiences. Hmm. And to a large extent, the discussion, it, it, it's removed from the reality of the pressures that are facing trans women and that what, what they need, which is a, um, a demedicalisation of, of, the, of their experience and uh, an approach which is, accepts and empowers them to make decisions in their lives about mm. what it means for them to be a woman and what things they need to do, they want to do in order to affirm that, that gender identity. And this kind of brings me to our next question, which is about how can people be good allies to trans people? You need to listen to people who have got that identity about their experiences and about what they see as being essential to their to their experience and to changing it. And if they say that something's offensive, you probably want to take that on board. And if they say that we really, this is the central issue for us, then you need to take that on board and don't presume that, that you'll necessarily know better than a person's own lived experience. And what are some, uh, some good starting points for people to start learning and, and reading about this stuff? Because also the thing is that, you know, sometimes people don't want to be asking trans people, hey, what can I do? Because maybe they don't want to be stepping on their toes and maybe trans people don't always want to be talking about their trans experience, the drop of a hat. So where can people go to learn more about it? I think it's, it's an interesting question because terms and experience, uh, objectives and uh, names change a lot and really fast. And so you can have people using particular terms and within six months' time, other people are saying you shouldn't use that term because it's it's a problem because people it's it's a very it's an evolving space. So and there are a few books that people can look at, but books tend to be expensive, but also they age um, much more quickly. But like so, big starting point for a lot of people was um, Julia uh, Serrano's um, works around Whipping Girl, and it's excluded. There are limitations with those books, but they're they're probably useful in terms of coming to grips with concepts like transmisogyny, which is the idea that Trans women experience a particular intersectional oppression between uh, transphobia and misogyny, and that, that, that there's a um, overlap there. But I think it's probably the best place for people to start is actually looking at online trans publications. Um, the Trans Advocate last year, running into this year, um, started um, a whole series of interviews with prominent feminist writers talking about trans experiences. But there's lots of different feminist writers that are interviewed by um, Kristen Williams on Trans Advocate, who's one of their um, editors, and they're probably really good places to, to start in terms of getting uh, engaging with uh, the way in which thinking is evolving, um, but also to try and uh, come to grips with some ideas around the nature of gender and its relationship with, with biology. 
That was Lisbeth Latham, and they just shared their knowledge about their understanding of, of feminism and being a trans woman uh, and the feminist movement, and also gave some good tips on how to be a good trans ally, one of which is pretty key, which is simply to listen to other people's experience. For further reading on the topic of gender and sexuality, and specifically the experience of trans women in the feminist movement, both Regan and Lisbeth suggested Julia Serrano, uh, her book Excluded, Making Feminist and Queer Movements More Inclusive, and also the book Whipping Girl. You could also go to Julia Serrano, that's J-U-L-I-A-S-E-R-A-N-O.com. Jermaine Greer is still scheduled to speak at Cardiff University on November 18th, 2015. So if you can, you could still sign the petition, which is online at change.org forward slash p forward slash Cardiff dash university dash do dash not dash host dash Jermaine dash Greer. Thank you for listening to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Programme. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcasts across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you've missed some of today's show, don't forget that our podcasts can be downloaded at 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The music featured in this week's show is by Two Steps on the Water. This next song is by them and it's called Nature Doco. Like a machine gun made of origami Being fired in the leaves above you A bird small and chubby is making birthday plans With Sam and Dougie Tried to tell if he thighs my love